my addiction had me so caught up. I couldn't even think about anyone other than myself. You know, and that's what it does to you. Like, perfectly normal people get caught up in this world of addiction and it changes them to a person that they never thought they would be, you know? Yo, what's going on, guys? Welcome to a podcast. Not only is this a podcast, but it's our journey. A journey that we hope you want to ride out with us as we intend to educate you guys, inspire, talk about past and current experiences, and to make one think to stop judging others, most importantly, stop judging yourself based on others' views and perceptions. With that said, you'll be hearing from me, myself, Austin Kirshner, but along with our journey, on this podcast will be my mother, Kathy Kirshner, and my brother, Dylan Kirshner. With that said, welcome to Silencing of Stigma. We're going back to the roots. But uh, you guys are in sales, right? Yes. Yes. Are you guys... uh, Wait, is this recording? Yeah, this is recording. Do you guys scam people? (laughs) (laughs) I personally do not. And uh, I, I can kind of answer that for Sai because I worked with him for the last four and a half years. So I believe he doesn't either. But what's your I want to say scam is the right word we're using here. Manipulate? Head crack? <laughs> wait, Sounds wait. like a better you're, word. You're going to have to explain this one. I'll let Farhan actually explain this one because <laughs> I never heard that, he's that the one that does this. Yeah. So that's, and I'm, I, I do it on a very, I feel like modest level where Farhan takes it to the extreme and I'll let him explain. Yeah, explain real quick. So I would say um, it's not an average sale. So it's like a head crack, meaning like you hit the home run. You, you got it all. You didn't miss anything. You drove it home. Okay. It equated to a good amount of money. Double it, it. was a head Tripled crack. It. You know, gotcha. double. So he, yeah, he's calling for one product, but he just sold six. Right. Correct. He sold everything he could at the maximum amount that he could. Yeah, probably max a doctor out because you can do a, a promo five times per doctor. <laughs> if there's three doctors, Farhan probably did it 15 times <laughs> is what we're trying to say. That is a head crack. But okay. what I would say for the word, because I heard manipulate, right? Yeah. And I just went through an extensive training with this new company and... It, I, I don't believe it's manipulating, but what I do now is I would... you. I'm in the business of moving people, right? Because if there's a product and somebody comes to see you for that product, you either have to get them excited or you have to move that person to that product, correct? So you have to either touch them in, in many different ways. You have to physically use your voice and be charismatic or however you want to say it to move that person into the decision to purchase. Gotcha. So the reason I'm asking this is because... We've done a podcast about how I got scammed, right? Remember that time I was talking oh, about yeah. how I don't know if I she brought laughs. up the first time, right? <laughs> I don't know how many podcasts you guys listen to, but I actually had an experience one time where I was at a the Plant Fitness parking lot, and two dudes came up in a van, and they they came out as I was walking to my truck, and they were like, "Hey, uh, we got some extra." Uh, surround sounds in the back of our van that we we got extra off a job, right? Because <laughs> And I'm like, okay. I'm they like, look oh. like those two. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not these two. <laughs> but uh, I mean, this is going. It's us. <laughs> oh, no, God. no, no, no. But um, That's stigma. I just yeah. stigmatize. <laughs> so 
long story short, I ended up getting five hundred dollars out of an ATM and giving it to him for this piece of shit fucking entertainment system, right? That man moved you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's Tell what I'm me saying. He did not manipulated like, me. That's the he word. Made he made it used, make sense. But in, in his way, he <laughs> used his product and believed yeah. it so well yep. that you bought into it. That yeah. I. Five hundred cash out of the fucking. I even said, "Let's go to the rudders right now. I'll get it out right now." Drove mm-hmm. off and never seen him again. I'm, I went home and I'm I'm using this stuff and I'm like, "This is shit. This is garbage." <laughs> right? <laughs> that guy, stereo that guy's system? like, "Yo, stereo it was like two speakers for my TV and like a little sound bar." <laughs> and I'm like, "Man, like this is when I was young and stupid, sure, right? Sure, I didn't yeah. know. Like this is my first. I was. I always thought all people were good and shit. So I'm like, okay." So he gets that from me. This this happens, right? Well, then, like, just recently, it was probably like two years ago. Am I moving you? No. You said it. That's all I can. No, but anyway, like recently, probably like within the last two years, I was at a gas station, and a dude pulls up, and it's usually two guys in a, some type of SUV, right? And same thing. They're like, dude, we got this surround sound for our, like extra, just extra. So this happened again. We're trying, yeah, I'm, at, I'm pumping gas. And I'm like, there's people next to me pumping gas. And I'm like, you had to pick me out of everybody. <laughs> so I'm you like. You just must look like you. Yes. <laughs> you that guy's got five for the back. Yeah, you know. He's moving. They must just see him. They're like, yeah, that, that guy. He's got it. It's he's just big stigma. Stigma. Look. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's a fact, though. It has to be something. Like, I'm just, out of all the people. And this has happened to you already, so it's just like, please tell me you learned from your mistake. So, Do you yeah, saw yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, listen, listen, listen. So, I actually, a couple times. I actually, like, I just went with it, like, because I knew what was the outcome, okay? The outcome wasn't going to be the same as last time. <laughs> I was like, yo, yeah. I was like, yeah, let's check this out. So he got out. He's just sweet. He, he thought he had me hooked already. And in my mind, I was like, dude, you're fucking stupid. <laughs> I've done so this before. He rolls around back and he opens up the trunk and he's like, I'm like looking at it. I was like, man, that's nice. And he's like, yeah. And he was telling me all the details, trying to move me in a sense. And uh, I was like, yeah, by the way, I got fucking scammed doing it from a guy like you. And he's like, are, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. Somebody scammed me doing the same shit. And I said, I'm not interested. And I walked away. And then he literally got in his, his car and left. So just yesterday, oh, again, I'm at, um, I'm at Rudders in Helm, at Helm. Like, I'm like, this isn't no joke. I'm yeah, I say, you full can't of make this up. Gas station, There's bro. no way. Gas station. It's your truck. I'm at Rudders, right, pumping gas. gas and I see this. I didn't see him, but I heard this This dude was like, yo, what's up? And I, I turned around. I was like, what's, what's going on? And he's like, I got this entertainment center <laughs> in the no. back of my fucking trunk. It's extra. I was wondering if you want to buy it. And right away, my first response was like, Dude, don't be fucking scamming people. That was my, first, that was like my exact response. I said, don't be That's fucking so scamming people. And there's people next to me, and I, they heard me say this shit. And uh, he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, dude, I got scammed doing, like, by people like you. And he's like, I, I'm not a scammer and stuff like that. So I turned around and said, have a nice day. And he kept talking. Because he was trying to move me. Right? Yeah, he was moving me in the wrong direction. Yeah, that's exactly you see what I'm saying? Yo, you can't. So when you got you can't do that. That's you try to reel back yeah, in. Yeah, we that's all possible. learned the first it no wasn't, is a defense mechanism. We'll call you back. No, it wasn't. Well, it wasn't happening this time. So I I screamed out. I said, "Have a nice day." And he's like, "Okay, have a nice day." Well, no sooner did you get done talking to me, a guy pulled up. Next to me with his lawn care business with a trailer truck. The dude was uh, Spanish, right? This dude 
that was trying to sell me some fluent Spanish. Like he talks Spanish too. I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. You know? He's talking Spanish. And I, I know a little bit of Spanish. He's like in, in La Casa, like talking about in the house and stuff like that, right? And I'm like, dude, he's trying to scam this dude. So I, I locked my truck because I had to go take a piss. I came back out. I looked down and at the far end, they had the trunk open and the Spanish dude was like checking the system out, right? I get in my truck, drive over there. And I opened the window. I took a picture of this dude. I have it on my phone if you guys want to check him out. Oh, my God. This is the same stuff you do. Don't put your head down. This is the same stuff. Don't walk down this alley. Kathy's going down this alley. Yeah, took this picture of this dude, and I screamed out the window. I said, don't buy that shit. And the guy was like, don't buy it. I said, yeah, no bueno. I I know Spanish. I I kept driving. But the dude, you knew it was a scam because the dude I was trying to sell to him, he just, like, had a smirk on his face and said, nah, don't listen to that guy. I'm like, dude. Are you serious? And I looked in the back seat. This thing covered the whole back seat, but it had to be a fucking scam. Like, who's who's driving around like selling that shit to people a, at a I, gas honestly, station? Honestly, that that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, where are these people? Because I have never once in my life had anyone walk up they're, to me at a gas station trying isn't to sell. That crazy. They're I didn't even know people still sell stereo systems. That's like, what I'm saying. So like, back when, in the day, they used to have like the face plates and stuff like that, but that's not even, like, a like thing well, yeah, the what anymore. were they called? So that's what I mean. Like that's kind head of strange. Units. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Head units. So like people like that's really a thing still. People yeah. still do that. Apparently, and I track them all. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I feel <laughs> like I can make money in other ways than trying to scam people into buying a <laughs> system for their car. Over and over. But he I mean, wasn't. Hey, I. He wasn't getting me. Get your hustle on, man. But they don't take no for their first answer. I know. I they, yeah, yeah, definitely trained I'm to not figuring take you guys out. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it's funny you say that because there's a statistic out there that's like two or or two out of five people that you come across now are in the business of sales. Yeah. So it's almost a fifty percent, you know, chance that the person you're speaking to is in the business of sales, either if it's retail or whatever they're doing, you know, they're in the business of moving people. I'm actually reading a book right now and it's called, um, to sell is human. And it's not about selling, but it's the fact that you can put words together to move someone. And it's basically like a parenting book, but it's, it's a pretty good book. I started reading it, um, the other day and, uh, they have some really good concepts in there. Nice. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, speaking of figuring you guys out, uh, welcome back to the Science and Stigma podcast, everybody. A uh, little story there to start off, but we actually, uh, I'll let my mom introduce these two. Go ahead. Okay, so hi, everybody. Welcome back. Thanks for listening again. I have, um, we're saying names, right? Cool. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so Farhan with me. Farhan worked with me for five years, four years. Four. four years he came in. We have a great story together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, we, we laugh, we cry. Um, he's a great guy. He's no longer with us in the department, um, but he was a legend. He'll always be a legend in that department. He was Facts. number one in sales for every year that he was there. Um, really cared. So Facts. we miss him. We still miss him. He'll get emotional now because he said we're still family. But so Farhan's with always, us. Yeah. Farhan has a story. Farhan has helped me tremendously. I think I've helped him a couple times too. Um, we just kind of connected. I was the mother, and he's going to get into his story. Um, and then he brings Sai along with him. Sai's a sidekick. So Sai's like Ashley's son at work. Um, he sits next to Ashley, but Sai has a great story. Sai is a lot like me. He has a great heart. Um, he cares about everybody. Um, and so he was sharing a little bit of his story, and I'm like, look, I've been trying to get Farhan on forever. 
So I need to get Farhan on. And, and you, your story, he just lost his dad uh, a few months ago. So um, he has quite the story as well. And it just goes to say what we were talking about on our live podcast before you guys got here, that the person sitting next to you has a story. Everybody in life has a story. And mm-hmm. nobody's life is perfect. They may come across like they're perfect. But the fact is we all have dark secrets that you know we lived with and that we grew from. And both of these guys have grown and are continuing to grow um, together. They're fisting each other right now. But <laughs> truly, for anybody, I don't always talk about work on these podcasts other than I'm a great leader. And they will attest to that. 100%. Because he 100%. gets tired of hearing me say it. But we're like a family. Like that group of people. And, and for those that don't know, when Kyle passed away, I was back in the office four days later. Because I needed to be with my family my true family at work, and they supported mm-hmm. me. So neither of you were there at that time, um, but I am who I am today because of the people that work for me. And you guys know I get passionate about everything that I do at work, and I love all the people that I work with. Um, so welcome to both of you. And they're welcome. just going to kind of share Thank their you. stories together, intermix. Um, but we'll start off. So it's Farhan and Sai. Yes. Mm-hmm. Let's go, bro. Okay. I'll, let, yeah. I'll let you kind of start it off. All right, perfect. So I will kind of give you like a little bio on myself. I'm 31 years old. I just got married two years ago in November uh, to a beautiful gal. Her name's Jennifer, and we have one daughter together, Zara, and she's almost four years old, right? It's crazy because she's almost four. I've kept a kid alive for four (laughs) years. You know what I mean? I think that's that's a lot of work. Impressive. Congrats. Yeah, but it, it always wasn't the case, you know. Um, growing up years and years ago, um, I never thought I would find acceptance, right? And I'm, like, looking down right now because before we got here, Sai was like, this is probably going to get emotional. And I'm like, no, this isn't going to be emotional. He's like, well, we're talking about things that we don't normally talk about, things that we've gone through. And I started to think, I was like, yeah, maybe we might get emotional, right? But... The story, it's, it's really long, and I'm not going to get into the war part on it, right? But it, I didn't have one of those lifestyles that, oh, uh, my parents neglected me, and I, there was something wrong, so I seek drugs and alcohol. I didn't have that, you know, that story. My mom and dad, they took care of me from day one. My grandmother was very much a part of my life, and it was uh, me and my brother kind of like figuring it out on our own. Our parents came here as immigrants. So they were born and raised in Africa. So when they came here to the United States, they didn't really know much. They just knew we have to get jobs. We got to be, you know, parents to these kids and we got to make sure that they move forward in life. Where Wherever it would be, however it is, we have to, you know, move forward. We got to keep up with the Jones, basically. So we get to high school. We both live in Northampton and it's like ninth grade, I should say, right? And this is a time where I'm like, you know what, we should try to smoke some weed and kind of like try to fit in a little bit more because at this point, my brother's uh, the cooler one out of the two of us and he's the one doing a little bit more experimenting. So everything that my brother did, his name was Erfan, and everything that he did, I kind of followed up after him. So he would always break the ice, and then I would always do it behind him, and then my parents would be like, oh, it's okay, because Erfan did it, and then, you know, he would always break the ice first, so we started experimenting in, in what, you know, marijuana could do, and 
through that, I found that if you buy a lot of it, right, and you break it down, you can make some money on it, right? So I started to do that, and I did it once, and then I did it twice, and then the money started accumulating, and then I got addicted to the money aspect of things, and one thing led to another. It was very drastic as it happened because like college years came and in high school I was continuing to do that for the four years in high school and I never really got into drugs drugs because I didn't really need to because what I was doing was enough you know it was always trying to chase the word enough or me trying to chase the word acceptance and throughout high school I didn't really find that until I started to buy in quantities and break it down where People were actually calling me now, like they needed me. I needed to be there because I had something that they needed at the party or wherever it was. So I felt that sense of excitement when I was, you know, called. Hey, can you come down here? Da 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 da. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna run with this for however long it goes. And I ended up getting to know a lot of people, and some may say a lot of people were the wrong people. And I started to hang out with the, the crowds that I never saw myself hanging out with. And it didn't happen until like I was in college, my freshman year. And my brother was already dibbling and dabbling in drugs, right? He was kind of buying the quantities of Percocet and Xanax, breaking them down, selling them. So he was doing them himself. So he already had this habit that he didn't even know about. Mm-hmm. because when he was buying them from this dude on the street, he didn't say, take as prescribed, you know, take yeah. one Percocet as prescribed. It was the yellow Percocet. There were 10 milligram Percocets. So we were getting those, and um, he was flipping them. And just a matter of time, the both of us were in college. Actually, he was in college first. I was still in high school. Uh, he went to Penn State. Then we were both in Penn State. I was at the branch campus in Lehigh Valley, and he was in main campus, and he got arrested. He got arrested on a gun violation. He had a gun that he was legally allowed to carry, but he pulled it out illegally, basically fell in the trap hole of the probation and getting on paper and was at Penn State main campus when this happened and kind of like escaped all that and went to Temple to finish out his career um, or his college degree, I guess you could say. And what happened is I ended up finishing up my my two years at the branch campus, going up to main campus, also getting arrested at Penn State main campus. I got kicked out of school at Penn State indefinitely. So I got sanctioned by Penn State. So it's on my transcript, actually. And I was like, how do I get this removed? And they said, in order for this to get removed off your transcript, no school is going to take you with this on your transcript. And what I did was... It was stupid. I caught a charge because I was doing the wrong things and I was making money the wrong way and somebody owed me money so I went to their house to get it and blah 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 and it equated to a lot of charges basically. So I was looking at, they started at four years of jail time. It was three felonies and six misdemeanors and I was not ready to, I was not ready to go that route, you know, so I kind of uh, had to stick around Penn State because I kind of opened a can of worms that was a little bigger than my brother did. And uh, I ended up getting kicked out of school, like I said. So within that year of me getting kicked out of school, I caught this, this horrible habit, right? Because my brother was already selling perks. 
in that time, I got into a car accident and I fractured my left elbow in three places, my radius, humerus, and ulna. So it was completely fractured. I was literally bedridden for six months. I was hospitalized for 13 nights, 14 days. And they were telling me cancer patients with, you know, and open heart surgery patients aren't even hospitalized for that long. So I was like, it must have been severe. So my arm was basically split open. They had me on a morphine drip the whole time I was there. This is before I even ever tried pills or even tried to get into it, right? So when I ended up getting discharged from the hospital, the regiment that they had me on was a ton of Percocet and opiates. And I'm not blaming anyone for giving those to me because those are prescribed to me um, to help my pain, right? And it was my fault, my choice, my decision to take five at a time or whatever I was doing at the time. Um, yeah, one, to alleviate the pain, but two, I was chasing something much more than pain and I would, I would call it a demon like inside of me, right? And it was kind of that noise that was going on in my head and the only way to quiet that noise was to kind of like just take these pills and just kind of forget about it, pass out, do whatever I had to do. So months go by like that. And when months go by like that, I have to keep calling the doctor for pills. So now I have my mom kind of wrapped around my finger with, mom, I'm still in pain, you have to call the doctor, me calling another doctor on my end, so I'm pill-seeking at this time, I'm getting different scripts from different doctors, and they're basically all in my name, right? So what I'm doing is I'm flipping those, taking the money, getting the street drugs, because those were cheaper, and using those to, st to sustain my habit. And then eventually, like, all of those pills got taken off the market, and eventually I started to do heroin, right? So, like, m me and the crew that I was rolling with is now, like, doing heroin. And my brother included is doing dope. And throughout this time, I've, I now know that I have a problem, right? So, I start trying to figure out how can I get myself clean. And, and that was always a problem, right? How can I get myself clean? I never really seeked help from anyone or guidance from anyone or even as God, I, I just never really thought it was in the picture for me to get clean and sober. And it was just years and years of life went by like this from the age of 16 to 25 smoking. It started with smoking weed and it drastically changed and it, and it drastically changed from like doing something that was frowned upon, yeah, but to doing something that was completely like I was literally shooting heroin in my mother's home, you know? And it's crazy because I couldn't even tell you how I got there. You know, in, in this time that I've been suspended from school, so now I got kicked out of school, I'm gonna go back to school with this vicious habit? How am I gonna, how am I gonna do this, right? So I end up getting kicked out of school in order for me to get back into school and that to get taken off of my transcript, I needed to write a 10-page reflection paper. I needed to do 100 hours of community service and they needed me to complete a rehab treatment. So at this point I was like, okay, I could probably use rehab because I cannot go a whole day without using opiates because I get sick to my stomach and I start withdrawing and I start detoxing and it's just not fun. So my first rehab first rehab treatment came my first year after college i was a, i was addicted for a few months my best friend ivan um 
got into it with me over over opiates and he was like see this shit's changing you as a person and we were both using so for someone else to be using <laughs> right to be like it's, you're changing you as a person and but that's very much like something that i needed to hear at the time right so that like introduced me to my first rehab treatment and in that first rehab treatment i was young man i was young and i was running into people i was probably like 18 years old running into people that were now my age shit 31 saying, if you would just listen to me this time, this literally happened, if you would listen to me now, you won't have to come back here again. And I'd be like, bro, I'm young, I'm here, I have to be here because school sent me here. I don't have a problem, you know. I'm gonna do my 28 days, and I call my mom crying two days in, you gotta get me the fuck out of here. Um, I was in the middle of Philly, it was just not a place for me to be. I could not leave because I was like mandated to be there. So um, I ended up completing that treatment. I, at this point, I was a manipulative person, right? So I would have said that I was manipulative um, because at this time I was lying, cheating, maneuvering in ways that I shouldn't have been moving in, right? Because I talked my rehab counselor into writing me a completion in 14 days that I was supposed to get in 28 days. Basically, I skimmed the whole treatment down to 14 days, and it kind of bit me in the butt later when I got arrested and ended up having to go to jail. The rehab time counted towards jail time, so if I would have spent more time in rehab, it would have counted for more time in jail, and I ended up having to spend more time in jail because I was an idiot moving the system, and that just shows you that even if you take shortcuts in life, it kind of will always bite you, right? So I got introduced to my first rehab, and I was, I was discharged, I remember it, and my boy picked me up in his Audi A8, right? <laughs> and he picked me up, and at this point, I was like, listen, I'm not going to use any of my product. Um, you have 120 of these. You owe me da-da-da-da-da. I'm just going to help you move them. And I, I got back into the, the money part of it, the aspect that I always needed to be around that because of the the acceptance that I felt when I was around it. And it really, it was a bad drug. The word acceptance is a bad, bad drug in its own because I chased it as if it was a habit in its own. So I had him pick me up and, and quickly after I was on the, you know, I'm gonna use these on the weekends and on the weekdays I'm gonna be good. So um, that only lasted one weekend. <laughs> and I quickly started doing pills and, and drugs again after. And it, I was so, attached to using drugs that um, I got back into school because it was my point. It was like, I cannot let my mom down, right? So I did the three things they asked me to do. I got back into school. I'm now going to Penn State. I'm in main campus. I'm fully addicted to drugs. And I'm selling them, of course, at main campus to sustain my habit. And it just doesn't look good. I Yeah, I get my degree, but I come home. And when I come home, I don't get my degree from main campus because my mom calls me and says, your grandmother um, is visiting and she's sick again. So instead of me spending the rest of my semesters and time at main campus, I was like, I'm going to go home and spend time with my grandmother because she's not going to make it much longer. She had multiple myeloma cancer, which I believe turned into leukemia and she ended up passing from the both. So I spent the last couple months with her. I ended up graduating from Penn State 
And immediately after graduation, I went to see my grandmother. She was in hospice at this time. So she was able to see me like cap and gowned. She is um, a, like a mother figure to me because she brought me up my whole life. You know, from day one when my parents were working nonstop, she was the one bringing me up. So she got to see her grandson graduate. And, you know, soon after that, she ended up passing away. So that happened. I never really, never really grieved that because I was just using, you know. So my mom, poor mom, like lost her mother and here's her kids still selling drugs. Her other son is living in Philadelphia, Air Fun. So I'm around when my grandmother passes, my brother's on vacation at this time. So like my mom only has me to lean on and Air Fun can literally not find a way home quick enough because... Uh, we're Muslim, and the way we bury is immediately. If a, if somebody passes away, it's the next day before, like the first prayer or whatnot. So he wasn't gonna make it regardless. So I had to be there, and physically I was there. My mom physically saw my body there. Mentally I was not there. Actually, I remember somebody calling me for something and me still delivering them what they needed while my grandmother was literally passed away inside the house because my addiction had me so caught up. I couldn't even think about anyone other than myself. You know, and that's what it does to you. Like, perfectly normal people get caught up in this world of addiction and it changes them to a person that they never thought they would be, you know? So my grandmother ends up passing away. Um, my mom and dad get divorced. They sell the home that we were living in and we're on our own. So like now we don't have a home to report to. My mom doesn't have to see my face every single day. Uh, my dad doesn't have to see my face every day. He's moved to Malaysia. So I'm kind of on my own. I'm now living with Ivan. And these people didn't even have names. They had letters, you know what I mean? I was living with L at the time and it was a safe place for me to just stay for a couple days. And I ended up going to so many different rehab treatments. I remember it was seven rehabs and I was so sick and tired. So I was like, something's got to give. I got to fucking try something new. So I go to rehab and God bless Mike Edwards, you know, because if it wasn't for this kid, I would have never made it to York. Because when he spoke about York, he was like, yo, there's like freedom in York. These recovery houses, there's people that just want to help you. And it's like... It just doesn't make sense. It's like, why would somebody want to help you for them not getting anything in return, doing something altruistically? It just didn't make sense. So, of course, I didn't do what he said, which was, let's go to York. He ended up going to York. I went home. I went home on the Vivitrol shot um, to find out that my brother now is starting to shoot heroin instead of using it the other way he was using it. So now I'm stuck at, yeah, so this, my parents got divorced. My mom got remarried. So my brother and I were visiting my mom. I come to my mom's and my brother's now using a needle, right? So I was like, I gotta get out of here. Uh, in that time where I was in rehab, the 30 days before, he had totaled my car. And I got a call from my counselor to come to the office. He crashed my car. So now when I went to my mom's new place or whatever it was, I didn't have a car. So I got there, I was on the Vivitrol shot, my brother's now using, I'm literally trapped with nowhere to go. So I called someone and I was like, hey, if I get on a bus and I get 
taken to Harrisburg, will you drive me to York? So I got in touch with Mike. I got into the Surrender House in York, and it started my journey in York. And what that it looks like is me getting kicked out of three recovery houses three different times, me still using. Um, my brother and I are out of control at this point. Uh, I, I get a little bit of time under my belt, and I get my brother to York, right? Because everything we did, we did together. Because that's what we did. Airfund and Farhan were always together. So I end up getting my brother to York. I'm nine months sober at the time. He comes to York and he does his thing, right? The thing that we all do, and it's obviously not stop using unless you want to stop using. <clears throat> so he comes to York and uses York for all the wrong reasons, not the right reasons that I tried coming here for. And when he got here, he quickly used, abused, and left within two to three weeks, and he went back home. So at this point, like, my mom is now in an apartment. It's another apartment, like a townhome type thing. And they've been there for a little bit, so we kind of have somewhere to go when it's back home. So now when I say back home, it's this, this uh, townhome. And it's either my brother's living there at one point or I'm living there at one point. My mom's never really alone. She always has someone living in the house that can't take care of themselves because of this habit. You know, because we both got into it at the same time. <clears throat> so he ends up going on his rehab stint again. Now he goes to California this time. He was always the bougie one that got to go to, you know, Florida and Michigan and Cali. I went to all the white deer runs <laughs> and pyramids where they make you fold your beds like you're in fucking the military. <laughs> like, Jen will walk in and be like, why is a bed folded? Just relax. The bed's folded like that for a reason. <laughs> you know? But, um... Where was I here? He went to Cali. Yeah, so he went to Cali, and he sends me a video of himself in Mexico, right? Because Airfon does what Airfon will do. And he, start, he, he jumped over – it's ironic, Mexico. He jumped over, this, <laughs> jumped over this fence at rehab, got on the other side of the board. He was talking crazy and sent me a seven-minute video of him saying, look at these people coming after me. And he was just hallucinating. And it was just my brother on drugs for days. And he was up for days. And he sent me a video of him in a hotel that my mom probably paid for on the other side of the country because that's all we can do. Yeah. You know? Um, and there was no one in the video. And he's like, look at all these people. And he's like yelling at them. So we're like, Erfan, just come home, dude. You're in Mexico. Like, you're in Cali. You're in Mexico. You're calling every couple days, asking for money. Just come home, bro. So at this point, I'm in York still. And I'm, like, not enabling my brother at all. So I'm telling my mom, like, don't enable him either because he needs to fall flat on his face. So we end up getting him home. He comes home, and he has this, like, change of heart all of a sudden. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go with you, mom, to Iraq. Because my mom takes people um, for pilgrimage three times a year to Iraq. So right, actually right now, my mom is there right now. Um, so this time around, she's like, I'm taking Erfan. Erfan gets his visa done, his passport stamped. Uh, of course, he catches a habit, and his plan is I'm going to go to Iraq, and I'm going to kick this habit, and we're going to be good to go. So my mom 
is um, very involved with the mosque back at home. So she's at the mosque. My brother's at home. I'm in York. I get a job at Applebee selling home improvement. I'm on my way to Carlisle. I can remember it like it was yesterday. My mom comes home. Um, she's telling me Airfund's not active on Facebook, social media, da-da-da. So I was like, just go home. He's probably passed out. Goes home, knocks on the door. He doesn't answer. My mom wears a scarf. So she pulled the pin out of her scarf, popped the door open to find Airfond overdosed, and he ended up passing away that same day. So she called me, and she was like, hey, it happened. You need to come home. It happened. Uh, your brother's passed away. The ambulance is here. They're trying to revive him. And it was, like, way too far gone. He had blood coming out of all the, the holes in his head. He, he had a heart attack, and he overdosed. He pissed hot for everything other than heroin, which he thought he was buying. So I rush home immediately, uh, nine and a half months sober at this point, and I start searching the room because I want to know what the fuck happened, right? And I go through his phone. I start doing some investigating. I found out where my brother was. I found out all the moves he made in the last 24 hours. But what I found before all of that, right, was a Suboxone strip in his wallet when I was looking for everything. That's funny because Kyle had one in his wallet. Right? All of us were always planned to stop. Right? And it was always that Suboxone strip that stayed on a counter and collected fucking dust. You know, because I don't have enough power in myself to do this on my own. I just don't have it. I've tried it on my mom's couch, on anyone's couch. I, I slept on people's couches in a car. Like, just, I could not get rid of this addiction, right? Where was I again? Your brother, you were in his room. Okay, so I was in his room. I went into his wallet. And there's literally blood on the floor because my mom had rolled him on the floor uh, to try to, like, revive him or whatever. So I'm going through his wallet. There's a Suboxone strip. I'm clean. I, could li I have a choice at this point, right, to take it and to go down a fucking hole or to just rock out, stay sober, be there for my mom. And, of course, I took the easy way out, and I opened that Suboxone strip, and I took half of it, put it under my tongue, and I got numb because that's what I wanted to do at the time. Because at this point, now I have an excuse again. My brother died, um, my grandmother died a year ago, and now my brother passed away. Um, this is gonna be the excuse that I run with. So my mom just passed, uh, or my mom's mom just passed away. Now my brother passed away, and she's dealing with myself, who is viciously addicted to heroin still. So what that looks like is the trip that my brother came home saying he wanted to go to, my mom quickly somehow got a visa for me within two days stamped by some ambassador for me to travel with her to Iraq. So I go to Iraq, and after Iraq, I come home. I then go to, no, my mom took me to Iraq, Dubai, Turkey, a bunch of countries. I came home and I tried to work. Right, because I needed to work to get my life back on track or whatever it was. And I tried to like sit in front of people right after I just lost my brother and I could not face anyone. I did not want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to look at anyone. I was mad at the fucking world. God, why did you do this? My mom doesn't deserve this. I don't deserve this. What the fuck is really happening here? Like, honestly, our dinner table went from a full table to a half a table in, in two years. You know, and then my grandfather ended up passing away in that time as well. So it was like 
three people ended up passing away. It was just, it was just terrible. So we ended up burying my brother, of course. I go on this trip with my mom. I travel a little bit. Um, of course, I'm not using at the time because I'm traveling to all these places. And I have a, a change of heart, right? I'm, I'm not going to use anymore. So we finish up our trip in Africa. It's time to come home and face, face the real world now, right? I fly into JFK. I fly into JFK. My boy already has dope for me in Allentown. I flew into New York. My boy has it in Allentown. I get home. I drop my mom off. Mom, I got to go to the mall. I use, I overdose immediately, right? I, I'm literally dead immediately in his car. I'm wearing a North Face jacket. All my shit's in my top left pocket. I'm not moving. He tries to revive me. It's not happening. He gets me to the hospital, puts me in a fucking wheelchair, wheels me in the hospital, turns around and runs. He calls my mom off Facebook. Your son's here, da 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 My mom, I ended up waking up to my mom. So now my mom just buried a kid. I've overdosed. She's, it's a day after we got back from this trip, and she's at the hospital with me because I've overdosed. And here I am. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Given that spiel that every kid gives their mom when their mom's looking at, like, this lifeless soul that I gave birth to, right? So... I meet Jennifer in this time of me coming to York a month in, and through that whole time, she is literally my rock. Never leaves my side. Ever leaves my side. I mean, through this whole thing, eventually I <clears throat> say, okay, enough is enough. I need to get back to York, right? So she helps me with this. I overdose. She gets me out. I continue to use. I'm like, all right, time to go to rehab. In this whole time of my brother passing away, that year, I went to another eight rehabs or seven rehabs. It was a total of 13 rehab treatments, jail four times. I was on the run from the cops for like a year and a half. It was just so much time wasted, you know? But um, something happened, and I was like, I want to try it again. Let's go to York. So I go to York. Jen's obviously there for me. Without Jenna, I don't think I would have even came back to York, you know? So let's try it again. And I'm climbing this hill of recovery and I fall. And I climb 30 days and I fall. And I climb 60 days and I fall. And I get to the point where I'm just like, this is not gonna happen for me. It's not, I'm getting kicked out of all these tr treatments or these recovery houses. I'm, I'm living in two bags in a 1992 Honda Accord, literally packing my bags from one place to another, getting kicked out, going to Jen's, going home because I need to use, coming back because I've had the idea of getting clean and sober, just running Jen's life into the ground now, you know? But she doesn't leave at this point, ever. And through all of this, she knows I want to get clean and sober. So I, I don't know what happens in her head. God bless her, to be honest. And Something happens, and I pack all my shit, of course, and I move into Jen's one-bedroom apartment. And at this time, I'm still using. And now it's Mother's Day, and I overdose again. Okay, so now my mother has to drive up to York, because Jen's like, I've had enough. I can't fucking do this. I just walked into my kitchen. Farhan's blue on the floor. I cannot do this anymore. So she ends up getting me help, gets me to 
the hospital. I then go to rehab. I come out of rehab and I move back in with Jen. And I'm starting to move differently now. And it's the people who I'm surrounding myself with are different. I'm taking direction. I joined AA, which saved my life. Thank God for the program. I'm no longer in the program, but I still talk to a lot of people who are very much a part of the program that saved my life. And if I don't think I found the people in AA at that time, um, my mom would have also buried me, right? So I get out of rehab. I get myself clean and sober. I get a job, right? And this job pays me $10 an hour, and I'm okay with it paying me $10 an hour. And I find out I'm having Zara, right? And that was, that was the last rehab that I went to. Jen was four months pregnant, and I was like, something's got to give. I get out of that rehab. Jen's four months pregnant. I moved back in with her. I now am cutting grass on the side for like three of my friends. I'm doing move jobs on the side and construction. God. I, I was driving to Delaware, okay? It was three hours in the morning um, because this kid saw how desperate I was. And he's like, I just, I'll pay you $15 an hour. We're going to pack your car up. We got to get to the spot at 5 a.m. in the morning. And we're going to work. So I was doing three things to support this kid that I was going to have coming into the world. Right. And knowing that I was having Zara kind of just flipped the switch for me. And I just started grinding. And I was, Kathy, this is where you come into play. I was at the construction site in Delaware. And the night before, the couple nights before, I was filling out job applications because I can't work three jobs. It's just not working. I'm, I'm not good at working one, let alone three. Uh, so I'm starting to fill out this application at Dense Supply. And crazy thing comes up on an application that everyone really wants to know is, are you a criminal? And uh, at that point, I've been denied so many different jobs, right? Because I got out of college. I never tried to apply for a job because I was you know, going to drug school or whatever you want to call it. And I get to Dent Supply. And by the time I got to Dent Supply, I've applied at like 15, 20 places before. I got denied at all places because of my background. So I get to the part of my background on Dent Supply is I close my laptop. I'm like, I'm not fucking doing this anymore. Close my laptop. Jen opens the laptop up, finishes the application, and hits send. I get a call from Adeco. And they're, hey, they want to interview you, da, 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 da. I, of course, talked that shit on the interview where Kathy and Ashley were like, do you ever shut the fuck up? <laughs> I said, I'm going to start that right now on the phone. Ashley said that too. And he's like, I'm going to start right now. He really said, don't you ever shut the fuck up. Basically, <laughs> hey, do you, are you able to listen to the, the other person on the phone? Because I was just, blah, blah, blah. you got to get me out of this. I was just throwing up on them. I couldn't even imagine what I was saying. But long story short, they gave me a shot, right? And... They gave me a shot, and what that job did, it was it, it showed me how to balance life, AA, and having a family, right? And I was still in AA at the time, and if not, I probably would have went crazy having a newborn baby because I was able to lean on so many people in the rooms of AA and aside from the rooms who just have been through the experience that I've been through and 
eventually I, I got this job at Den Supply and they paid me $10 and at $15 an hour for the first three months. And I was like, $15 an hour, that's the most I've ever made in New York. I'm taking it. Let's go. <laughs> Running with it. I've just been working three jobs. I'm taking this. And I found this love for, like, I don't even know. Being around good people is what, that acceptance, that drug, that acceptance, I now found it in a good way, in a good manner. Where now it's, like, not a drug. Where now I'm going to work and I'm being a member of society. And, like, the people that I'm around really want to be around me. And I start this job at Den Supply and <clears throat> like a month into it, I become really good at selling products on the phone where I was able to like progress and I stayed there for four years. And in those four years, I was able to help people and do all the things that I've always wanted to do in the time that I didn't want to do it. And does that make sense? I always wanted to do things in my time. Never on God's time or, or like somebody else's time. So I've been on this long journey, right? And I was November 17th, 2017 is my day away from heroin, I should say. You know, since then, yeah, I have dibbled and dabbled. I've had a beer here and there. I can have a beer. And it says it in the big book, like... If you think you can dabble, go ahead and dabble. And I've dabbled and I haven't turned to shooting drugs. So like, I don't know if I define as an alcoholic, you know? So, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay to say that. But like what my life looks like today is, is beautiful. Um, my daughter, like I said, she's four years old. My wife and I have been together in November. It'll be two years. Sorry, Jen, that took me a little answer. <laughs> um, I just got a new job. And when I told my bosses, Kathy and Ashley, that I got a new job, they were happy for me. It's not like they wanted me to fail. Like, started surrounding myself with the people who want to see you do well. And that's when you start to, like, progress, you know? And so many things happened, and I didn't even know how they happened. And I don't even know how they're happening right now. Fucking two weeks ago, I was in San Diego. I was in San Diego, <laughs> free of charge. <laughs> Like, and then two weeks before that. Um, four and a half weeks before that, I was in Denver, Colorado. Two places I've never been in my life. That's awesome. And my job was like, hey, we're training you here, and we have a convention here, and we're going to do this thing. And I got so fired up at that convention, I came home, and I crushed the sales week. My first week in the field, I guess we could say, and I did so well. And I, I have to remain humble at the time, you know, and still always remain humble. Always help the next person in front of you. Because you never know someone's story. Nope. You never, ever know someone's story. You know, and... And, and, and Farhan's the reason I drove to Lancaster so many times. <laughs> because he was in the AA room with another friend of ours. And this friend didn't want me to meet up with Farhan in York for both reasons. So Farhan and I are back at the copier one day and he says... Kathy, I go to AA, and I'm like, son of a bitch. You're the reason. <laughs> you are the reason I've been traveling to Lancaster. And I respect him for doing that. He didn't want you to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. He didn't want me to be uncomfortable. But after that, then Farhan and I could have open conversations about, like, what, what it's about, what the struggles. He helped me. I can't imagine his mother. I mean, 
because I lost my mom and Kyle and my dad within eight, nine months of each other. So I can appreciate, but your mom had a son and another son. And I, I listened to her podcast. She did a podcast and it's a beautiful story. And she's so proud of you now. Like I see it on Facebook, like you've come so far and, and I just want to touch base because you talked about the AA thing, you know, about you can't drink and that you're an alcoholic and you're okay with that. Austin and I have conversations about this all the time because he believes that that title should never carry on. You're not always going to be that person. If you're not, you're not. And he believes that negative connotation where people say it and they say it in the rooms and I've been in enough. You're, once you're an alcoholic, you're always going to be an alcoholic. You're right. just not an active alcoholic. That is a negative title that you should not have to carry for the rest of your life. And I didn't, I wasn't aware of it because I go to the meetings. I haven't been, but that's what they teach you. But yeah. he said that to me one day. I don't believe that. Yeah, I, I, I just don't. I believe in admitting to the to issue or the challenge that you have in your life, but don't carry that with you. What's the purpose of carrying that weight on you? Because every day you wake up, you're a new person. You know what I'm saying? Right. So as soon as you wake up and you're you're already associating with I'm an alcoholic, you're going to start finding tendencies or things to, it, it's like a, it's like a negative way of looking at yourself, right? So it's the way you think, right? So that's literally when you go to AA, it's, or any of the programs affiliated with getting clean and sober, it's just, they're trying to change the way you think and move literally, because those behaviors are what drive you to do what you're doing in the first place. Yeah. So what you said makes a lot of sense. I, if, yeah. I, yeah. If you wake up and you think that same way, you know, but some other people could say, hey, I'm thinking that way because if I don't think that way, I could easily forget. And that's what we can't understand because we don't yeah, have that's that. That's a good way of looking at it. You know, I because agree, if yeah. I don't, because I've tried every other way, and yeah. if I don't wake up and, and hit my knees and pray and, and get literature out, and there's people who are so accustomed to that and it works for them, so they're not even trying to do anything else, which right. if it works for you, it works for you 100%. Yeah, everybody's and, different. You know? Yeah. As long as you're not picking up a drug, like I think anyone's winning. Even if you're on maintenance programs. Yeah, I used to talk shit about it, but if you're on a maintenance program, amazing. As long as you're not playing Russian roulette, it's cool. It goes back to different strokes for different folks. Yeah, yeah. for sure, 100%. But through this journey, your end result, and you're still fighting every day to improve yourself, obviously, you had it easy where we worked. It wasn't a challenge for you anymore where it's a challenge for Simon sometimes. <laughs> he, he's just as good. He just puts that in his head. He gets in his head. But you could have stayed on that easy road right? and came to work every day. But you came to us and said, I don't want to lose your friendships because I'm, I need to move on. And so continually from that construction site till today, you are still motivated and want to move on. 100%. And, and you don't stop. And it won't stop because I know that this is much bigger than me. Like I have to live for my brother now. You know, my mom always says that. Like you gotta live for the two of you. You gotta live for the two of you. So anytime I do something, every time I do something good, like I do, I try to do good things, right? Like I do it for us. And he can't lie. He can only lie for a short amount of time. And then, and I, he, and then I throw up. And then ah. He's like, all right, I'm going to yeah. lie about that. Oh, I got to tell you My this new now. employers already know. They're yeah. like, I literally can't lie. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you'll find out. <laughs> literally find out. But, yeah. but you've grown. So the listeners that listen that are in that spot right now where they think they can't get better, they're not as – they can't move on. I'm stuck in a restaurant forever because I have this record or whatever. There are people that give chances. 
and, and you can get better as you're a living example of what you've come from to where you are today. Um, and that's a beautiful story um, that you just shared with us. It's beautiful, and it gives hope to people. And it wasn't easy for you. I mean, you made it a long journey in a short story. And I know the days that we and you shared. I mean, I remember the one day you said about, I need, I said, well, we'll have to go to a lunch AA meeting. Like, let's just look this up. Like, because right. our family mm -hmm. at work, like, we cared. You came, you know, we have other individuals. I'm not going to mention names, but through the process, we've had other individuals in your situation. Mm -hmm. And you were the first one to say, you can do this. Like, we support, like, right. you can do this. We all have issues. Mm -hmm. uh, Sai's wow. going to get a little into his story, but mm -hmm. I mean. And I want to say one more thing. If you are suffering, right, just reach out to someone. Say something. Do not suffer in silence because that's the worst type of suffer. All right, guys, I want to thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. We will actually continue with Sai's story next week, so stay tuned for that. Uh, again, thank you for listening to the Science Institute podcast. We're going to give you a short clip of what the beginning of next week's podcast looks like, and here it is. Thanks, you guys. Love you. Catch you on the next one. And my, my story is not as in-depth as Farhan's. So, I mean, I definitely want to start off by that. Like, you, you've lived a very different life because you were literally, like, in the addiction. You know what I mean? Like, he experienced the addiction part where I really didn't. So, I mean, j jumping into my story, I was born addicted, and that's why I got adopted. But that's also... I kind of feel like why I never went that far. So as a baby, you actually were born addicted yeah, to so heroin? I, yeah, so I got taken away. So okay. I was born addicted to heroin, and I got taken away by the government from birth.